It's Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs. Let's start the show with Lewis Tennant. Here we go. Guests and interviews that you're looking for with creators, innovators, and so much more. For all episodes and further info, verbalhighs.com is the place to go. Alright, welcome to Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs, a podcast podcasted weekly from a kitchen bench in Kingsland, Auckland, New Zealand. My name is Lewis and I am the host of said show, uh, aiming to bring you, on an average weekly, a new guest chatting life, the universe and everything uh, in their world. So, uh, Mr. Guest, some of you may not have noticed, I'm a guest short, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post two for the first time, groundbreaking stuff, two this week, uh, but one's very much been pushed forward as it relates to a very special uh, music and filmic event that has happened already in the Film Festival in Auckland, but then will happen in the Film Festival uh, in Wellington on, I believe, Wednesday evening, exact times and so on, uh, and of other screenings throughout New Zealand in the podcast, but it was a pleasure to have uh, Mr. Julian Bosch and director of Swagger of Thieves, the uh, picture about notorious Wellington rock and roll band Head Like a Whole, very much a band of my era. It was supposed to be the second ever dual uh, guest episode and that I'd have two people at the bench like I did for the Muck Putty app, but uh, let's just say our date didn't show up. Our date didn't show up, but that was okay, uh, because it actually turned out to be a really, I thought, uh, insightful and interesting conversation with one man about his um, process, if you're into filmmaking and creativity in general, his passion for his subject, um, his perseverance with his subject, his sheer bloody-minded determination to make the best film he could. Um, which, in, to my mind, he has. I, I don't. I've got the luxury of this being my own little project, and if I didn't like um, said subject matter or or, or piece of uh, art, as it were, I'd, I'd just politely say no. I really want to chat. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing project, and really uh, cool hearing about ten years in the making. I'll let it speak for itself. I won't hold up the uh, the the episode proper this week with my existential rants and self crises. If you're new here, hello, hello, hi, come back. You can come back by going to verbalhighs.com, checking old episodes. I'm up to about thirty six now. You can like the show Verbal Highs Podcast um, on Facebook at Verbal Highs on Twitter. Second guest will be posted later in the week. Let's go for Friday or Saturday, hey? somewhere around there. But for now, thanks so much, Julian, for coming on and um, good luck for future screenings. It's a fantastic film, and I hope you I hope you make another one in your life. This one didn't. Julian still looks like he's got a rightfully so a bit of defragging to do with this project, but I think he settled down and warmed up once we got a coffee in him and he managed to um, we didn't manage quite easily uh, chatted for over an hour about about swagger of thieves alright on with the show this is Dr. Tannen's verbal highs um I what's this called what's the description of a place like this well I think back in the day they were called bedsits right that sort of sounds like something you drag an old man out of after 20 years so they're called studios now okay. but i don't um i mean it's standalone it's um it's got a good balcony it's got a great big cooking area so i don't find it too small do you own it or rent it rent it yeah I mean, what do you pay for press, <laughs> most people place most people walk in and go ah cool spot <laughs> like mm-hmm. i can't believe people live like this do you really find it that small in here uh I don't think I could live in a small place like this. Yeah. Oh, I could if I had to. Yeah. Of course. All right. Um, how do you pronounce your surname? Bosha. Where's that from? Well, New Zealand. But what's that? What's the... Is it... Is it oh, well, it's kind of French-German. Yeah. Parents French-German? Nah. No. No. <laughs> Scottish. Kiwi. They're Kiwi. They're Kiwis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was actually just listening to something on R and Z about where are you, where are you from? Being actually quite a racist question. Um, with me, I have documentary maker uh, Julian Boschia uh, to talk about 
a film that I saw on Thursday night at the New Zealand International Film Festival. It was called Swagger of Thieves. It was very good. It was about a band that I grew up with um, in the 90s, as a lot of us did. I'm from Wellington, by the way. So, um, Well, so am I. Yeah. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I'm from Wellington. Yeah, whereabouts? Well, I was born in St. Helens Hospital in Newtown. Yeah. Went to Kerber Normal. Didn't yep. go to Intermediate there because we moved, but I did go to Wellington High School for a while. So did I. So I'm a Wellingtonian. Yeah. And it's odd going back to Wellington for me because I've been in Auckland for a very long time now. Auckland's my home, but I have mixed emotions when I go back to Wellington. Do you find it's like your observations on this apartment and that it feels very small now? <laughs> 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 Because that's what I notice when I go back. Uh, family there and stuff is I love it, but it's very small. Oh, I like the compact nature of Wellington. And, you know, when it's a beautiful day in Oriental, you know, when the harbour is glass. God, it's incredible. Incredible. The last the last place I lived um, was Hay Street, you know, just off Oriental Bay. Yeah. And um, I could actually move back to Wellington. I well, could. You said two different things there, and that you have funny emotions about it when you go back, and you could move back. So I have what, mixed emotions. What's the, yeah. what's the okay? So what's the other side of the mix? Is it just what being there, done that, or I think the skeletons, mi- or no, no? I think the mixed emotions is that I could actually move back there. It's my, yeah. it's my hometown. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, it probably won't happen. I tell you, I mean, I'm not really uh, how to say, it, I'm not really sort of a, a, someone driven by such spiritual concerns but even though it's home it's it's, it's something more than that to me like uh, it's a feeling I get because I lived in Melbourne for a while it's a feeling I get when I go back there feeling I get Wellington that I just don't get here there's just this feel about certain cities to me that that are quite powerful and and Wellington's got that and it's not just that as I say that it was home it's 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 a it's a freaky little powerful city I think Wellington's probably more of a community. Yeah. Because everyone ventures down the hill into that basin of the CBD. Yeah. And I just think, you know, for for people living there, Wellington is... The, the waterfront and the harbour is actually really well designed. We just don't have that in Auckland. No, we've got, no, can, we've got, we've got no town square. You can get away from the traffic in Wellington. Yeah. And it has this unique... I mean, you know, the cable car, um, you know... I mean, we have the volcanoes and all that, I suppose, but uh, I don't know. The plight, I mean, the plight, plight of the homeless is such a sad thing for the homeless, and, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it, Queen Street now is becoming more like District 9 every time I walk down there. It's oh, pretty Queen, Queen sad Street's straight awful. I'll just pull that down because you pop in a little bit. Queen Street's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, what do they say when the people get off those terrible cruise ships? Your, your gateway to the city. There's a lot of things about Auckland that are really embarrassing, and, you know, this... This idea of putting light rail down Dominion Road to yeah. the airport in 30 years' time? I mean, for fuck's sake. Just what, what do you, Why do you say that? Driverless cars by then, you reckon? Uh, okay, A, 30 years. Yeah. B, why light rail? Just use the existing heavy rail that's already... You know, extend, extend the track out like they did with Heathrow, I think. Or things. I'm sure they just extend out, don't they? Well, the train goes to Manukau. Yeah. From Manukau to the airport, it's just, a, it's just like, I think it's three Ks, three or four Ks. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the line ends at Onihanga, go across the water, yeah. go across the farmland, yeah. hit the airport, then carry on to Manukau. So that's a loop. Yeah. I mean, light rail down Dominion Road in 30 years. I mean... Give me a break. I feel like writing a letter to the editor and using a few swear words about that. <laughs> okay, so we've both established that we're um, maybe living in the wrong cities. How did you end up here all, all those years back? Work? Uh, I moved to London. Yeah. And lived in London for, well, not long, but about you know three, three or four years. Worked at Tower Records in Piccadilly Circus. Um, uh, in the warehouse and then up in the jazz department. I loved that job. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, I loved it. I felt like I was at the centre of the universe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, members of the Rolling Stones would come up, ma- mainly Charlie Watts, actually. Charlie Watts would come up to, into the jazz department on a regular basis. And, yeah, yeah. And I'd follow, follow him around drooling because yeah. I'm a big Stones maniac. Not so much now, but, you know, a few years ago, I was a massive, massive Stones maniac. So meeting... <laughs> 
meeting you know a guy like that in the flesh and traipsing around after him holding his CDs that he was going to pur- <laughs> purchase that day yeah, yeah. And, and, and saying silly things like, is it true that Keith um, burnt down three floors of some hotel in Stockholm because he was trying to cook shepherd's pie in his hotel room? Just being a real, real idiot, you know. Was he, um, was he uh, you know, welcome to you, chasing around? Uh, he was probably thinking, can you please F off and just leave me alone? But he was very polite. Nigel, being date Nigel, had, had I, I thought he had a bit of a stone swagger about him in that in that film. We'll get to the film in a sec. But yeah, so how'd you end up in Auckland? You moved back from London, and oh, I moved back to London. Went 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 back to Wellington, and we, and my partner and I we just sort of hung out for six months, and it was like oh, you know, we've lived in London. Uh, sorry, we've lived in Wellington for 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 quite a long time previously. So let's give Auckland a go. Yeah, and how long has it been here now? I always, I always liked the attraction of Auckland as far as, you know, the sort of semi-tropical, yeah. better weather, you know, probably more opportunities sort of a, sort of a thing. Yeah. So, so that was, um, I mean, we've, we've been in Auckland now for about 25 years. Wow. And so um, following the, the band round, well, I know you've got a longer history with them, but the docker was the last 10 years. You were um, somehow making it work being up here. Them being down there and it sounds like a lot of sort of travelling and and so yeah, it was you on the hard. road trying to capture it all. Yeah, it was gratis. It was, yeah, it was pretty difficult because I, I have a I have a business in Auckland and I'm sole charge in that business. So when I'd go off and um, film, you know, I'd just sort of close the doors for a few days and hopefully nothing would happen and I'd just bugger off to Wellington or Otaki or. Is the business um, f- sort of film or AV related, Julian, or is it something completely separate? Yeah, no, it's in the industry. It's I, I have a I have a business where I hire out uh, very high end cameras and lenses to yeah. the to the film and TV industry. Yeah, yeah, which explains why the film looks so beautiful. Well, not really, because actually <laughs> all of the cameras I've used in the film are actually very stock standard, um, you know, traditional shoulder mounted TV cameras. Yeah. And I just continued that way because that's that's what I started out with, you know, in two thousand and eight yeah. when I st- started filming the contemporary stuff. But I think those cameras actually have an advantage. You're not struggling to find focus. Are you? And are you also meaning like stylistically? If you change camera partway through, you end up with footage that might not match. I'm a little out of my league here. Well, for a fast moving documentary, yeah. if shooting on the fly and just trying to get get the stuff as it happens you've got to have a system on your shoulder that is easy to operate yeah and it's got to be ergonomic and you know know, wait a second i'm just uh tweaking this uh seventh setting here and i've just got to get that off and oh it's it's actually it's happened (laughs) you see what see what's happened now is a lot of guys are using super 35 mil cameras yeah and what that means is you've got a very narrow and shallow um depth of field which you've got to very shallow area of focus in the picture. Yeah. So if you're handheld and you're moving and the, and the guys in front of you are moving, you're going to be struggling to hold focus. Yeah. I didn't want that. No. I wanted it to be in focus all the time um, and just ease of use. Yeah. That sort of, even though it's not necessarily strictly fly on the wall because um, there is some interacting with the camera, but yeah, that kind of immediate immersion. So to the to the screening on... Um, Thursday was that the first time it had been shown in front of a large crowd? It was the premiere, right in front of a, in front of a public audience. Yeah, first time I'd done three small media screenings uh, previously in a, in a very small ten seat cinema. Um, so the premiere was, I mean that 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 was that was it. How did it feel? Did you ride all the emotions, or did you just take it in as an audience member? Or how? I mean, it's, you know, it's huge. It must well, have been huge. To be honest, I was a little bit disappointed because the audio levels at the Civic were way down. I noticed that. It was quite odd. At the beginning, I'd been joking to Leon about how some you know, a good rock film's got to be loud. It, yeah, got was, better. it got better pretty quickly, I was really though, didn't pissed, it? Oh, well, I was really pissed off, actually, and I was sitting, up, sitting with Mikey up the back, and Mikey leaned over and said, oh, it's a bit low. I said, it is. Dude, can you? So he ran off and quickly asked them to turn it up. They did turn it up a bit, 
but... It was only those front speakers. It wasn't sort of full immersed around well, the whole theatre. Well, the Civic doesn't have 5.1 surround. Oh, okay. And the film is finished in 5.1 surround. Yeah, and, right. I, and I noticed that they don't even seem to have speakers upstairs. Right. So it was just those speakers coming from the, what felt like from the screen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it was probably a bit louder down, down in the stalls. Down, yeah, that's down, where I was. Down, downstairs. Yeah. Um, so that was disappointing for the first screening. So I was going to say, yeah, we won't dwell on that because no, it, didn't, no, no. it didn't ruin it. And a, it, was, a, it, was turned, it was turned up quite early on. So yeah, it, it and was a lot passable. of people probably wouldn't even notice anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other aside from that, you know, um, the proud proud father is where I'd be pissed off with that as well. But how, how, how did it feel? I mean, how did it feel hearing people react to different parts? And well, it was really interesting. I mean, it, you know, it was it was it was a big night. And I, was, I was reasonably happy with the turnout. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was slightly, just slightly over one thousand. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the you know, it's a bit of a um, um, uh, you know the civic, obviously. You know, I felt really, you know, honoured that they had put it in the Civic. Yeah. But then in saying that, the Civic is the largest venue in Auckland, basically 2,400 seats. Yeah. So I was worried that... Um, it would look like a party that wasn't quite full enough of people. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It that's didn't, right. it didn't, mate. Yeah, it no, was fine. No, I think it was okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, it, it was really interesting. I mean, a lot of there was a, there was a lot of laughter in areas I I wasn't expecting laughter to be, and um, you know, right from the outset, really, the first um, thirty minutes, people were laughing. So I'd never experienced that before. Um, I noticed that in that, and I'm trying to think how to explain it because I thought about talking to this to you, to about this to you today. Like, it felt like next to me, at least, there was a woman who, how would I put it, like. Kind of a tourist, or what I mean is like not it, it, with no kind of personal knowledge of any number of things in that film, and it felt like she was laughing, like look at these circus oddities, kind of laughing, mm. which I didn't. It, I just had to switch off to it because it was mm. it would have <laughs> it would have mm. it would have really fucked me off if I kept thinking about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, sort of yeah, heartfelt bits, and it was like, <laughs> and I'm like. Was it, was, it a, was it a nervous laughter? No, I think I could say it was just someone with no kind of, just a, someone maybe a, just a bit of a straighty right. kind of laughing at bits right. I just wouldn't have thought were, were, were laugh worthy. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess, um, yeah, who knows. But actually, afterwards, um, I was outside the theatre and this woman came up to me, this kind of... Um, well, let's just say she probably would have been about 65. Yeah. She came up to me and said, oh, well, thank you very much um, because I know nothing about this band and I and I know nothing about this movie, but I bought a ticket anyway and I wasn't sure if I was making a good decision or not by buying a ticket. Yeah. But I did buy a ticket and here I am and I thoroughly enjoyed your movie. And, you know, despite me not probably listening to music like this or, or this kind of type of genre... Thanks for that clarification, lady. I thoroughly, <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed the movie. So that, so for me, that's really amazing because, you know, from the outset, I wanted it to be quite a broad film and tr- attract quite a broad audience. Yeah. I didn't want it to be this um, fanboy film of, yeah. you know, hard rock, metal, Yeah, you know. And, and I agree with that. Like, I, I've said to people about, about docos that, that, to me, they're the best docos. Like, it could be about, you know, tiddlywinks. But or Tiddlywinks Champions, but it's it's actually about a lot more than that. So, so how I liken it to is something like where I could say to my mother, probably similar to the woman you're talking about, sit down and watch this. You really like it because it's yeah. a great story. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Um, so with that, I was going to ask this a little bit later on, but um, are there are there plans to um, after the festival circuit to get a, a, um, a general kind of run throughout New Zealand? I don't know how any of that works, especially for such an indie project in terms of backers and stuff. Yeah, well, it all depends upon the prevailing winds, and at this point, the prevailing winds are. Well, there's one. There's there, there is a dis- distribution company that have had a couple of looks at it. Yeah, and I haven't been hassling them. Um, Sounds like a madman kind of a thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, I'd love to get a theatrical release. I think there's a big audience out there. Especially in the provincial towns, you know, such as Invercargill. Yeah, and yeah. And I thought that really shone through in their performances in the film. You know, just like um, how big an audience there still is for rock and roll throughout throughout New Zealand. Yeah, that's right. But I also think the status of the band now 
and this film are two quite separate things. Yeah. And I, I think the film would certainly attract, you know, a larger audience. People that go to this film are not necessarily the same people that would go downtown and see them in a pub. Yeah. Playing live. Yeah. You know, it's different. Yeah. It's different. Um, I will try my best and get a theatrical release because I know that there's a lot of interest in regards to this film throughout the country. And I did set out to make it for, let's say, you know, the plumbers and the electricians and the builders and the plasterers and their girlfriends. Yeah. Those sorts of people, you know, the um, the um, guys and girls that have gone to see this band at some point in their lives over the last 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um where did your guys' relationship kick off? How did you actually come across the band? You mentioned the love of dirty rock and roll, following the Stones around and stuff. Um, how did you meet Hala? Well, we had a mutual friend, Booger and myself. Um, and uh, so when we came back from London and we moved to Auckland, you know, I, was, I went and did a um, bit of a film school course thing. And um, so after that, I was, you know, thinking, well, why don't I just get into music videos, see how that goes. So I did. And one of the first videos um, I did was for Head Like a Hole. And that was me scoping for this introduction. So I got the introduction through the mutual friend and the band agreed. And, you know, this was all through Booger, really. Yeah. And so no portfolio behind you. How do you how do you chat Booger up that you're the man to do it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. I mean, yeah. I actually didn't have anything to show them because I hadn't really made a music video before. Yeah. But, you know, they probably went, oh, okay, well, okay, well, let's just give this guy a go. You know, it's probably as simple as that. So that video was Wet Rubber. <laughs> yeah, right. And Wet Rubber turned out to be something quite special. Yeah. And um, the band loved Wet Rubber. God, they just loved it. And, you know, it helped with their notoriety. Yeah. Because TVNZ banned the video. Yeah. Because of the explicit lyrics and explicit uh, content. Yeah, the first 30 seconds of the films from a German porn movie called Wet Rubber. And that's what the song was based upon, this German pornography movie. Yeah. That the boys had found in some skip behind some (laughs) venue in Wellington and taken it home and watched it. Um, but you know, Mikey Havoc, bless his heart, he was hosting that show Havoc um, on MTV, yeah, and that was looked after by TVNZ, yeah. So he went against the TVNZ ban, yeah, and he played the video actually twice in two weeks, and um, so that was great. And did so they did they do anything to him? Just you shouldn't play that. Oh, how do you enforce nah. a ban? It's silly. No, I think Mikey's an outlaw. I think he just does what he wants. Yeah. Um, so that was really the beginning of our relationship. But yeah. I, I actually, I only did two other music videos after that for Head Like a Hole. Which were? Beatnik and Comfortably Shagged. But that, would, that was, that's feeling like around the time they would have disbanded pretty shortly afterwards, wouldn't they? They disbanded after Comfortably Shagged. The Comfortably Shagged video was um, a tour. Yeah. So we're just filming some stuff on a tour. And after that tour, that's when they broke up for the 10 years. Were you around for that? Was it just one big fuck-off argument in a room, or was it something that it felt like you knew it was bubbling up for months it was and bubble- months? Or? It was bubbling up. It was, it was, the, it was the, the catalyst was Nigel and Booger's drug use. Yeah. Just pissing the other guys off. Yeah. Um, and um, as explained in the film, some money went missing. Yeah. The money was going to be funding funding a trip to Germany. Yeah. That money was taken. Last straw kind of business. And it all came to a head, and that was that. There was no official breakup. Yeah. They just sort of, sort of <laughs> they just didn't talk to each other for 10 years. It was just it. Um, yeah, so it's funny doing these when you only want to go and see the film and don't want to expose too much content, but... It so spoke to me, the addict's temperament, when it was along the lines of, I decided to 
borrow this tiny little amount, and then three months later, everything yeah. was kind of gone. Well, you know, I mean, you get um, a real sense in the film that um, when you've got five guys in the band and two of them are drug addicts and one of them's a very serious drug addict, um, and that's spilling over into, you know, theft yeah, and generally bad behavior. I mean, it's going to put a strain on the unit. Yeah. And um, those those other guys are going to get incredibly resentful. You know, I don't know how much you want to speak on this, but I'm really curious because I mean, it is a story that you crafted, and you're you know you're very much in 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 their world now. It kind of felt like a number of people in the film, um, particularly Durno, stood out to me. Tall Beast. Um, if it were me in this situation. Uh, might be owed an apology at some point by by uh, by other members. Is that is something like that happened, or is that not how it's how how it's viewed by other members in terms of certain situations? <laughs> yeah. So, are you saying? I'm, that, I'm just has, saying that. Will there be? I'm just. I'm just a very long, convoluted way of saying. Basically, um, it feels like there's a few people that have been screwed over. Where there needs to be a resolution at some point, maybe even if it's an apology. Or, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was, just, I was basically asking whether that had happened or not. But I was also saying in the same breath, it's, it's not really up to you to speak on it. I'm just curious. Well, has, a, has, a, has, has Andrew Durno had an apology? Yeah, or a, uh, any number of people. Well, no, not really. <laughs> no. But, you know, in saying that, um, everyone in the band, past members, present members... They've all wanted to participate in this film. Yeah. So that was great. And, you know, I have tried to really uh, keep relationships open and um, keep lines of communication open, uh, which has been, you know, a little bit difficult at times because there are some lingering um, um, resentments. Yeah. And... You know, it's been a bit tricky, but, you know, I have been lucky because no one has told me to F off. I don't want to participate in this film. Yeah. They've all they've all come to the party. So, Well, I definitely know Andrew best of everyone in the band, and it speaks to his character to me that it, he sort of did what I sort of saw as quite mature. It seems like what he did the first time around as well is just like all or nothing. So it's like. I just got to wipe my hands of this completely mm. for my own mental health, mm. you know, mm. and just get on with other things in my life that are that are. That well, are, Andrew, know. Andrew left the, the he left the band when when filming was almost complete. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, so you decided to do a doco. I loved the um, piece that Tamsin wrote, and it's sort of, sort of uh, maybe something I read that you'd said as well that perhaps they had some idea of of what you were doing, but it didn't really the penny didn't really drop for any number of people until you actually showed them mm. the test screening. Um, um, how were reactions from, from the band and so on? Because, like, you know, as we say, a lot of, a lot of quite gratuitous content in there and so on. Uh, well, I showed them a cut um, that was about three hours long quite a few months ago. Down from the six-hour one? Yep. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was still... It still needed a lot of work and a lot of trimming, but I think they got the general idea. Bogger and Nigel were pleasantly surprised that they were going to be portrayed as these outlaws. And um, but the final, the final version, um, the guys never really saw, but they did see a, another version in between the three-hour version and the final version. Yeah, and that that, that blew Tamsin away. Tamsin didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. The guys have been a lot around cameras, you know, a lot. Yeah. You know, through all of the music videos, etc. Tamsin was amazed at how um She didn't get that there was a narrative thread gonna be yeah, she, through it and so Yeah, she was amazed. She was amazed at how engaging the story was and how the story had been, you know, pieced together and you know, she really liked the shots and just the flow and the feel and everything about it really. And well, you've got you know. So she was compelled to write that piece for off the tracks. Yeah. Immediately after she saw this. Yeah. Late at night on her laptop via Vimeo, lying yeah. in bed with Bogo. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, you had to, you know, narrative 101, you had, you had your compelling protagonists. You just needed your three-act structure. So um, was there a number of options on the table for the, st- the story you thought you were going to tell over the years? Or had you always had this kind of idea? I'm really interested in that because it's just, from what I've heard you say, there's so much footage. Did, did the story, quote unquote, kind of change a number of times? Or was, it, was the, idea, the seed of the idea there most of the time? Well, I, I, I did start out with a plan a long time ago, but, you know, that, that plan just got thrown away because well, I tried to find resolutions to threads. Yeah. Um, but with these guys, you just can't do that. <laughs> you know, like if I'd been filming, um, you know, a thread about a particular subject, um, you know, a couple or three times, then I needed to get a resolution. But, yeah. But... You know, some, sometimes they just weren't interested. They just didn't want to be interviewed or they didn't want me to hang around or, you know, so texts went un- unanswered. And so when I got to the edit suite, um, some threads were completely discarded because they wouldn't make sense because I never got an ending yeah. or a resolution. Yeah. So, I mean, that was difficult. You, 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 you must be extraordinarily patient because, you know, it sounds like you've had your... You, you've been tried a few times, um, even leading up to before we chatted. So, what's kept you in yeah, there? Right. You know. Well, it got to a point. <laughs> it got to a point where, okay, well, uh, okay. I knew that uh, I had the opportunity to produce something incredible because yeah. he'd like a whole, and I agreed that we would make a documentary. And they agreed because of our relationship, yeah. which has, you know, it's been a very long relationship. So it has many I, layers. Very many layers and many years. <laughs> so as I've said a couple of times, there is no other band in this country I would rather make a film about. Because when you make a film, in my mind, you've got to have, you've got to have, some ingredients or some juice. Yeah. So with Head Like a Hole, it's pretty easy, really. With Head Like a Hole, I had character, big character. Yeah. Booger and Nigel and Tamsin, three great characters. Yeah. I had some bad stuff. Yeah. You know, the drugs, the theft. Yeah. The fractured relationships. Yeah. And then I had some good stuff. You know, great live shows. Um, Twins. Their 25-year legacy. Yeah. Yep, yep. Booger's Kids. Yeah. Um, access All Areas. Yeah. So I realized that I had gold, absolute gold. Yeah. And that's why I couldn't give up. Yeah. It was really hard because I went for a, a long time. I spent a lot of money, yeah. my own money, because yeah. there was no funding. Yeah. Because I never went for funding. Um, And I knew eventually that I could make something out of this. And as as I was filming it, you know, in my mind, my mind just got crammed full of... I was always thinking about it. Yeah. How can I edit this? How can I edit that? Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And I just kind of figured out, you know, I'm dealing with chaos and if this documentary ends up being a little bit chaotic, yeah, then that's okay. Yeah, I mean, who cares? Because you, you don't. Know. I mean, definitely, you don't strike me as someone who 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 take any shit. And at the same time, as I say, having having that di- diplomacy as well, like just that temperament all the way through. So you 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 never got to a point where you got in a yelling match with them. You just had to. I've just always had to been be, had to be the documentarian. The, yeah, yeah. I've always been very careful to not blow my top, <laughs> not lose my rag. <laughs> Um, I mean, I can, I can say to Booger now, you know, like, okay, Booger, just don't be a dick. Just (laughs) think about the future. Yeah. You know, don't take that approach. How about you take this approach? And he actually listens to me. So your mates now? Oh God. Yeah. 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 He, he, he rings me a lot. He rings me every day, sometimes three times a day. Oh, he's, he's such a... Because he likes to chat. Yeah. You know, he likes to chat. Um, he's such a, I just, um, you know, his humor is like, 
It's people who are like musicians, whatever they are, they might be visual artists, whatever, whatever, whatever they are. I'm a sucker for a great raconteur, and especially yeah. one with a good sense of humour. Yeah. And the number of times I've heard of interviewed, it's just like, God, you're you're hilarious. Like on um, RNZ, he did the mixtape, and he was talking about how he nearly missed um, the birth of his kids, but then he got to the car park of the hospital and Iron Maiden song was getting really close to a lead break so he had to stay in the car and rock out yeah, that's that right. before he <laughs> yes I heard that yeah that was a that, that, that was a good interview actually that was yeah. and that was him totally being the stand up comedian you know yeah. just totally yeah. self aware of how funny that stuff was and yeah. I thought I thought with that like uh, sorry to cut you off is um, another thing you know, that the craft of filmmaking Tamsin writes this thing that's to do with the craft of filmmaking to me about characters and stuff she said something like you see Booger in the film not Nigel. Um, how was it doing that? Like, you know, how, deciding which side of a character, how much of each part of them to to portray. That's a stylistic decision, right? Well, a lot of a lot of this was worked out in the edit suite. Right. We we edited for a year and a half. Yeah. Two nights a week. So it was a it was a part time endeavour. Yeah. And you know, some sometimes we just walk away for a few weeks. We just had enough. Because there's ethical concerns as a director as well, right? In terms of how you portray, portray people and so on. I could have made the film a lot more intense and a lot worse, but I didn't want to be a bitch. Yeah. You know, I yeah. Did, didn't didn't I didn't want to destroy anybody's lives. No. Or reputations, but I guess we took it to the edge. Yeah. And we agreed um, between us that we would take it to a point, and then you know. No more. But then I think that's where you and the band, or you and the editing, and and, and just some of the bands, like back to Nigel, 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 which whichever one's temperament, um, it's often really cleverly softened with humour or a little bit of, yeah. you know, there's two, there are two or three distinctly spinal tap moments in that film that could yes. not have been better timed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just trying to think of the one towards the end. There. Oh no, that's right. I can't. People haven't seen it. People haven't seen it. Um, and that's what I sort of asked before. So there was there was some negotiation with the band in post about what to include and what not. No, not really, not really. That was all. That was all my decision. They, they right right from the outset, it was like, okay, if we do this, this is this is what's got to happen. These, these are my conditions. Yeah, it's got to be warts and all. Yeah, uh, you guys are going to have no control over the edit or the final outcome because yeah. that just won't work. That's like me going to a recording studio and saying, "Hey, I think you should take out that lead break because it's not, it's not, it's it not, happens. It's, it's not good enough. It happens. Know. It happens for Walmart releases. Yep. So, this was my film, and they were the subject matter, but yeah. and that's as far as it went. Oh, this isn't a spoiler, but the line, yeah, the one that t- totally cracked me up on a spinal tap level was regarding he never, he always looks at the audience, he never looks at me along yeah. those lines. Like <laughs> yeah. <that>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's amazing you say that, actually, because <laughs> everybody, like, you're probably about the 10th person that has said to me. and Oh, that line? Yeah, that line. Oh, and you, you were like, that wasn't the one I put in for the real... Yeah, they've pinpointed that line, yeah. and it strikes me as quite interesting, because I never thought it was any big deal, but... But yeah, maybe maybe it is. Maybe I missed something. Yeah. Well, so so I'm glad it's there. Oh, but yeah, <laughs> that's right. Wasn't yeah. That you mainly planned for. Um, so your your diet of of content like this, what what you must have watched a fair few docos just for leisure and as sort of preparation and study as well. What what blowing your mind? Sometimes you ask these people these questions and then put on the spot. You can't think of films, but can you think of sort of docos you think are. Well, Nigel Regan's always gone on about Dig. You know, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that's the Daniel Warhol yeah. and the Jonestown Massacre trio. That tambourine and that's, player. Yeah, that's kind of a black and white film, and it's all very close and human and angsty. And uh, the guy that made that, you know, got close and you know got the got got the fights and the arguments and all of that. So, so probably that one first and foremost. Yeah. Um, obviously, some kind of monster was this really interesting insight into one of the biggest bands in the world yeah yeah. actually some kind of monsters an interesting film to note because whenever um the guys in the band did get a little bit antsy or nervous about you know certain things i would always say to them hey some kind of monster did metallica censor that no they didn't and because they didn't they probably garnished more respect yeah you know, That's so right. guy, so you guys just need to think about that. Yeah, you know, um, and what else? I mean, 
I've never seen that Pixies one. I haven't seen that either, actually, and no. I've seen a lot of music docos. Now yeah. I've actually put myself on this. I was thinking of that question myself of what I've seen lately. I really liked. She Had Beautiful Machine is really the only other New Zealand one, and um, yeah, Well, I don't after know. I saw, oh, no, go on. I don't know. Not really your cup of tea? No, oh, it had a good structure, but I, th- I don't know. I just sort of got the feeling it was rushed, and maybe it was a bit sort of orchestrated. And, yeah. And... Yeah. Well, after it came out, Julian, and before yours, but now yours is in the pot as well. But after that one came out, talking about it with fellow friends and geeks, um, I was like, well, there's not actually a lot of full length New Zealand music docos out no, there, are there? No, I think it's. Am I wrong? That's right. There's not many, is there? No, you're correct. Yeah. There's hardly any. And so I think, I think the timing for, for this one, it's great timing. It's an election year. Everyone's down in the dumps about world events. Yeah. And this is a documentary essentially about a dumb white rock band. Yeah. Hey, presto, perfect. And it's, and it's entertaining. Um, something you touched on before. Oh, I really, I, older, I was thinking that um, Story of Anvil was great. And, um, oh, Anvil's fantastic. And the yeah. um, second of the three that the female director who went on to do Wayne's World, the the second one, she did The Metal Years. That's, I mean, that's a really old music doc, I know, but I only watched it again recently. Decline of Western Civilization. I've never seen it. Part two's great. Part one's The Punk Years. Part two's the one that's sort of quite notorious. It's mm. got a whole lot of hilarious scenes in it. Could go on for days. I should I'd probably actually give you a key of music films before you go. I loved Anvil. I thought Anvil was... Oh, he's such, he's such an optimist through this yeah. ridiculous... Yeah, you know, it's a very po- it's a very positive film, and, yeah. and actually, it, it, it is, it is, yeah, yeah it yeah. is a very positive yeah. film, and I, and actually, I hope I hope people <laughs> can take away some positivity from Swagger of Thieves because I think oh, I don't think it's negative or dreary no. at all. I think it's I, yeah, yeah. There's probably a lot of bad stuff in Swagger of Thieves, but I would hope people could really um, see a lot of positivity in that film, you know. The basic stuff. I mean, these guys are still together after twenty five years. Yeah, they're still they're still doing their first love and passion, which is music. Yeah. Um, you know, despite the myriad of difficulties this band goes through on a yeah. day to day basis. Yeah, they're not the darlings of the New Zealand music industry. Yeah, they're not really supported by the music industry. No, they're sort of like um, they've kind of been swept aside. You know. But still, which is, I mean, going further on this track, which is really hypocritical in, in a lot of ways when you delve into any number of people's pasts and so on, you know, or or hearsay or rumor about what they have or haven't done. But then at the same time, I guess a lot of it's brought on themselves as well. So you know, oh, of course. Um, back a few things before you were saying because obviously it's something that really sticks out as soon as the film starts. Um, the stylistic decision to go predominantly black and white was that something in your head early on or you, how does it again meet the technical stuff filled in that i don't know that well you don't shoot in black and white you shoot in color and then how does it work <laughs> you shoot yeah yeah which bit you shoot in color and then well you shoot in you shoot in color yeah but the viewfinder of the camera is in black and white uh, so you're looking at a black and white picture as you're shooting right so you get that framing and everything right yeah um but for me um, I've always liked black and white. I used to be a black and white printer um, in, in, in Wellington. Still image printer. Yeah, photo, yeah, yeah, photographs. Yeah, you know, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the, the 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 three tray processing chemicals. Yeah. You know, you know, wet wet prints. Julian's eighty four, folks. So he he mm. was doing it the first time round. <laughs> I'm thirty six. <laughs> um, you know, Fury Road has just been re released in black and white. Yeah. Yeah. There's a black and white renaissance and there's this massive article in The Guardian about it actually. It's really interesting. Black and white, uh, from a practical point of view, when I was filming, I noticed there was a lot of red, red couches, red cars, red curtains. Just in their life there was a lot of red, yeah. Yeah, just backstage or, you know, and... You know, uh, you know, rehearsal rooms or whatever—just a lot of red. It's a very rock and roll. And color. red doesn't really mix very well with video, right? It doesn't reproduce um, as a very nice color, and so the decision to go black and white was a because I don't really like red. Uh, 
via a video camera. Yeah. Personally, um, I think these guys just suit black and white. I'll give you that. They just they just sort of suit the aesthetic of black and white. And also, I don't know too much about it, but there is some function in the brain that when the brain doesn't have to process color, yeah. the brain has more capacity <laughs> to concentrate on narrative narrative and dialogue wow. and content. Now, I don't know much about that, but you know it's probably rubbish, but I sort of tend to agree with that. Well, now I'm thinking of the opposite, which is really that trend, regrettably, however long, for big Hollywood dumb explosion, colourful blockbusters with mm. fuck all going on in yeah, the that, story. Yeah. That's like the opposite of what you've described. Yeah, true. Well, that's because I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I think as I think I think the black and white just sort of flows. It yeah. just it just. So it was a decision made. Uh, oh, very early, early on. on you, the, yeah. yeah. And and I love the you know the little snippets of colour and stuff. And um, I don't know what that you'd implied that imbibed before the um, the show on the street. But that little colour um, section and the doing a wobbly motion, folks, mm. um, was very reminiscent of LSD for me. Mm. Uh, you captured something there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the idea was to have all the archive stuff in colour and all of the live on-stage stuff the as ar- colour. The archive stuff. So for me, Julian, like, um, you know, as I say, that peri- the band are very evocative to me, not only of being head like a whole, but um, they're my youth. You know, I, when I was, the earliest things I was, Getting out of the house and going to as a teenager, you know, was those big she had had like a whole conventional toaster, whatever gigs at the car parks. You yeah, know, I was yeah. screamingly underage, whatever, 14, 15. Mm. And also back then, I think this is a blessing and a curse. Um, there was there's very little footage of anything compared to now. Um, and so I, I really pine for, and it happened in the Shehard doco too, just those little snippets of 90s Wellington, mm. uh, you know, in those, in, in those places I were and those people mm. I was around. Mm. Where'd you find all of that? Was that, that, that? was that a particularly difficult part of, you know, in other words, the archival footage? How, how'd you find it? Uh, well, let me tell you, there's a lot of uh, collateral, collateral damage when it comes to head like a hole um, people that were involved in that circle or were friends with them or you know worked with them in some some capacity uh, a lot of these people I found to be incredibly unreliable and uh, there was footage out there and it was very difficult to actually receive that footage do you mean stuff like yeah, 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 yeah I'll do it I'll do it yeah, yeah, yeah I'll do it it never happens exactly yeah and um, I put a lot of energy into trying to source archive footage because it was important, you know, integral to the story. Yeah. And if you don't have it, then how the hell are you going to tell the story? So I was disappointed. I was quite disappointed. And a lot of people, they just didn't front up. Um. But, you know, a couple of people did front up and one person fronted up in particular and that's where the bulk of the archive yeah. material came from. Yeah. So I'm total, totally indebted to that person. And, um, um, I mean, imagine the film without it. Well, that's it. And like I was saying, you, you know, I, I'm making these numbers up, but you get a 1,000 people to a gig in Wellington in the 90s, there might have been five cameras, whereas now there'd be 894 cameras, you know? So it really is. Hey, and what you say, look, it obviously wasn't noticed because I'm lucky enough to be behind the scenes and stuff now. I thought the footage that was in it was great and there was enough of it. And and as I say, it was really quite special for me outside of the story of the band to go, shit, that's how Manus Moore looked in the 90s. Or, or shit, I, I forgot about the giant Māori dude with the club foot who used to busk outside my first my first warehouse flat on Cuba Street. I remember him. I remember him totally. When I saw that footage, I was like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, and I, I also I remember the other guy sitting on the seat. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's incredible, isn't it? And um, it's really really nicely shot, actually, that, that stuff. Really nicely shot. So someone who had a video, I'm guessing a VHS, a video camera back then, be. Gerald Gerald Dwyer had a video camera, yeah, and Gerald used to film a lot. And um, this other guy called called uh, Lane Husband used to shoot a lot. He was he was the he was the roadie for he'd like a whole. So, so someone in Gerald's circles managed to get you that some of that footage in the film. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
Um, getting a film that is you've done, as you say, it's been out of your own pocket, it's your own time, it's been your labour of love, you've got no backing. I've read about um, how you said that was fantastic in a huge amount of ways in terms of creative license and so on. Mm. But um, how do you get, how do you get, how do you go, hello, and get it into the film festival? I, I, how does that work? Are they really receptive? And Well, we've been, um, so I shot the film, we started editing, and I didn't know what was going to happen to it. I mean, I was always just, you know, talking it up and sort of kidding myself that something great was going to happen to it, but I had no idea. It was a big risk. The whole thing could have just, you know, collapsed in disarray and the film could have gone nowhere. But, you know, the 2017 festival was coming up, so I had my eye on that. And one day, when I was ready, I just made a cold call to Bill Gosden um, of the festival. I rang him up and said, Hi, it's Julian from Auckland here, and I've got your opening night film for 2017. (laughs) And he sort of did a nervous laugh. And said, oh, okay, interesting. What's it about? Blah, 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 blah. So he just said, okay, well, you know, send it to us. Send it to us. So I did. And then uh, he rung me back uh, a few few days later and said, okay, well, yep, we've, it's a pretty easy decision. It's a confronting film. It's a difficult film. But, it's a fucking well-made film. But for it's us, it's an easy decision, yeah. so so we're going to include it. And, you know, I couldn't believe it, but I was I was relieved. I was yeah. completely relieved. And But then I was afraid because all of a sudden I actually had a deadline. And so I, not afraid of an audience, afraid I, of getting it done. Afraid of the deadline. So what did you send to him to get it? I sent him a, 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 rough, a, rough, a rough cut. Yeah, a rough cut. Yeah, a rough cut. Not the six-hour one. No, I sent him a cut that was probably oh, 15 or 20 minutes too long. What does it run at now? 108 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of, when I'm sure when I was growing up, um, a number of films were about 90 minutes, and then they crept up to about two hours. That feels like the sweet spot in the middle. I reckon it's the sweet spot. I could have made it longer. Yeah. I could have made it shorter. Um, but, you know, you're trying to cram in 25 years here. Yeah. It's very hard. And it's a bit depressing about, uh, you know, when I think about the stuff that didn't make it. I was going to ask you... Screeds and screeds of gold did not make it. I was going to ask you about that. So first thing was, even if you don't have an exact scientific answer, how many hours of footage did you have? I mean, overall. Yeah, well, we were dealing with about 12 terabytes. So that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) You don't know in hours, a lot. Um, yeah, so just, I was going to ask that, some gold that, some stuff that you were just, uh, that you had to omit. Any yeah, it's really hard, it's really hard doing that. Yeah. It's really, it's really so difficult. Because what we would do is we would spend a lot of time cutting a scene. You know, we, we'd, we'd probably look at a scene, you know, 10 or 15 times. Yeah. And then the following week we just go, okay, it can't stay. It's got to go. All of that work and all oh, of that. Even the work in post as well because you've got it all, yeah. Yeah, so we'd, we'd have a scene in, in the film that we may have looked at 10 or 15 times. Yeah. And so there it was for quite a long time in the cut. And then one, one day or one night we'd just go, okay, it's time for it to go. <laughs> yeah, it's just got to go. It can't stay. We don't have time. Like a bird leaving the nest. It doesn't connect. Yeah. You know, it's like playing chess or it's like doing a 20,000-piece jigsaw. It's really, really difficult. And everything's got to connect. Well, it's like doing a, a 20,000-piece jigsaw with 28,000 pieces. And you've got to decide what to do with yeah. the spare 8,000 yeah. pieces. Yeah. So just to my understanding, so you've got 16 terabytes of raw footage. Then you've got a bunch of stuff that was actually crafted in post that didn't make it. And then you've got the film. So you've got the sort of stuff in the middle that... Yeah. You have to give Bogger 16 terabytes of his life for a Christmas gift or something. I could make a six-hour version, and it would be pretty tight. Hey, you've mentioned um, other other people. You've you mentioned, firstly, you know, some people being unreliable and so on, some labour of love and stuff, but who are you? Who do you feel indebted to with Post and stuff? Was the edit, edit job yours, or did, did, did you have help? 
Uh, the edit was uh, a collaboration between myself and a guy called Eddie Larson. Yeah. He um, has worked with me on most of my music videos yeah. over the past few years. Um, so, you know, I needed to find somebody that could do it cheaply yeah. because it was self-funded. I needed someone that could do it over a long period of time because I knew it was going to take a long time. How long did it take to get it? Well, about a year and a half. And, and this guy's working full-time as well, so you're doing it outside of work. Yeah, he's yeah. sort of working from home, doing his own thing. Yep. And I needed someone that would um, just be on the same page. And, you know, I sort of like to have a good argument. And, you know, if he wanted to take something out, then he had to sell sell me the reason. Sell me the reason why you want to take this out. Sell it to me. So, we'd, you know, we had a couple of punch-ups. Yeah. We had some very heated discussions and good. <laughs> some, sometimes, you know, he would see my point of view, sometimes I would see his point of view. Yeah. Um but by going through those punch-ups you came to the best possible outcome because you actually fought it out. So it was never a, okay. Yeah, it was never yeah. a personal thing. It was always no. it was always to the benefit of the film. It was for the art. The art of the film. He's the guy that broke it down into three acts, which really, really actually helped us. So we started dealing with it in three acts. I, that's what I, I teach narrative at AUT. That's why I joked about that before. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. Got, you, got, you, got, you got your catalyst. You got your first turning point. I mean, I've, learned, got, <laughs> I've learned a you lot. You got your climax. You got yeah. your resolution. Yeah. Yeah. When I went into this, um, I, I've never made it. I've never. This is my first documentary. You've got your herald. You've got your shapeshifter. Thinking about character archetypes. I wouldn't go that far. Mm. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing because I've never made a documentary before. I've been a I've been a cameraman on documentaries, yeah, um, before, but I've never made my own documentary before. So I didn't really know what I was doing, and I sort of knew all of this technical stuff. Like some someone said to me, "Make sure <coughs> make sure you've got music within the first six minutes. Make sure you got that within the first twelve minutes. You know, blah blah blah. Act one, act two, act three. Um, so." Yeah, I mean... Well, the other one you were always going to have, whether you knew about narrative or not, and it's narrative 101, is conflict. A story's got to have conflict, so yeah. you kind of had that, I knew that much. You had that 18 seconds after you decided to do it. I knew that much, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do, I've, I do trust my gut instinct, and I do trust my taste, Yeah. and I know what I like, and I know what I don't like, so I can really go on, I can only really go on that. Yeah, and you say yeah. that you didn't know all that stuff, but I bet you, and based on everything you've done and, and, and just being already involved in the art stuff, you would have intuitively known stuff. Well, maybe he just yeah. t- he just yeah. t- he, t- he tightened it up a bit. He, yeah. he formalised it a bit more. Yeah. Maybe I maybe I don't know, maybe I don't know that stuff in order to articulate it. Yeah, but maybe internally, I just kind of know that stuff. Well, this is what I say to my students because they even more so than us, they've grown up in such a media saturated environment. I'm like, before I teach this to you guys. I'm telling you, you already intuitively know it, most of you. We're just mm. going to talk about, you know, yeah. actually thinking about this as a formula and looking at it. Mm. Um, do you think you think you got another film on you? I think you should make another film. I think you should make many more films, actually. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate Maybe that. Maybe not just, not yet, just have a rest. Just, yeah. Um, yeah, a few people have yeah. said that to me. Yeah. Sarah McMullen said that to me. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but... She's... Uh, <laughs> Well, she 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 does. Oh, fil- Sarah. She does the film reviews on Nine to Noon. Right, cool. Um, I heard her. Yeah, she yeah. she 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 was very wrapped with it when I heard her on air. The media has been incredible. It's been absolutely incredible, and it all started from one night. I came home after an edit session, and Eddie and I were just like, "Oh my god!" I mean, we've got to show somebody this now. Yeah, because you know, for a year and a half, we never showed anybody. No. It was just me and him. I showed my partner and I showed my 18-year-old daughter. Well, she was 17 at the time. Yeah. Um, and But basically nobody had seen it. So it got to a point where we just really needed to show it to someone. And I don't know Graham Tucker, but I'm Facebook friends with him. And I I've know always, the name. I've always really it. enjoyed his film reviews on national radio. And I've always really respected his opinion. So I messaged him and said, do you want to see the, he'd like a whole film. And he had known 
for a few years that I, I had been doing this yeah. quietly. He went, he came back immediately and went, hell yeah. So I sent him the link. He watched it. And then I didn't really hear back from him. But then the following morning at about five o'clock in the morning, my phone started going berserk. I was getting all of these uh, messages from everybody saying, you've got to go onto Facebook, you've got to go onto Facebook. Graham Tucker's posted this post about your film. Yeah. Um, and so I read it. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe Good. what... Good, that's probably what you needed at that time. We, yeah, we needed it. We needed it. Yeah. He, he wrote the most incredible um, informal review of the film. It, it was amazing, actually. And when I read that, it was like, it was an amazing feeling because the, the first thing that struck me was, oh my God, maybe I have not just wasted 10 years yeah. and a whole lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was incredible. And that, that, that's really where the media started. Yeah. It's been some amazing media. Yeah. So back to the earlier question, you, you, if, I mean, obviously you can't keep doing 10-year projects where you pour all your money into them, but if, you, you know, if this would be a launching platform into perhaps being funded for other projects, would you, would you got another film in you? Uh, I probably, you see, it's a tricky question that because the beauty of this film is the way I've made it. Yeah. You know, the long-term nature of it, the um, unfunded nature of it. I thought about all of that as I was saying that. Yeah, yeah because of, yeah. I think, I mean, I'm not too certain, but I think if you get funding, then I think there's certain conditions. Yeah, well, maybe not. I'm not sure. I'm not maybe sure. not. I don't mean like government funding. I just meant if there was, you can't. Yeah, I'm just assuming you can't keep making films out of your back pocket for the next forty years. No, but if no, if, if, no. if there was support there, you got another. Yeah. We'll see how we go. We're gonna. We'll I'd love go. to make. I'd love to make another film. And I. Um, you got your eye on something. Topic wise. Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Oh, okay. Not really. <laughs> yeah. No. Yep. I mean, I've always been. Um, I've always been creative and I've always uh, got off the couch and got into doing things. I've always been like that. Yeah. I mean, some of them, I made a lot of music videos and I produced and directed them. I've always done, you know, stuff basically on my own. Yeah. Um, but it would be really nice to actually do something where I don't take the full load. Yeah. it is bloody stressful. Oh, totally. Yeah. It doesn't help my burrowed frown. Um, yeah I sort of always put I always take too much on yeah and you know it's not good for your stress levels it's probably probably not very healthy yeah when I think about this film I mean the load I took on was just so freaking monumental I can't believe that I came out the other end yeah and I can't believe it's finished yeah and I can't believe it got into the film festival it premiered at the Civic and I can't believe the incredible media and the response it's had. It's, have, it's, it's have you, amazing. Have you got a holiday booked for after the film festival screenings? Are you going to go sit somewhere and chill out for a week? Uh, yeah, well, we actually, to be honest with you, we have been looking at holiday destinations. I do feel like... Go somewhere really cheesy that you just have to do nothing and people just hand you things to eat and drink. Yeah, I feel like going somewhere really hot. Yeah, well that, combine it with that. Samoa. Really hot, sitting on a beach. Yeah, that's right. Drinking margaritas. Yeah. Having a rest. Um, I reckon we're nearly there. I was going to ask, um, so there was Auckland, uh, just the one screening in Auckland. Then you've got uh, the Wellington screening is... Yeah, okay, so it's going to the Embassy in Wellington on August. Another great theatre. Yep. With 5.1. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a sound check. Actually. Yeah, like I was going to say, go yeah. in like a band and do a sound check I'm in the do afternoon. A sound check. Yep. Yeah. So it's the embassy on Wednesday, the 9th of August at nine fifteen p.m. Are there tickets still available? Well, I think the tickets are getting a bit thin. But Wellington's th- going to be a. I think it's going to sell out. Yeah. So um, yeah, get your tickets. You don't want to miss out. Um, and then we're to Christchurch. The night after that, it's going to Patoni. Yeah, the Lighthouse Patoni on August the tenth. Yeah, that is sold out. Yeah, so you've got to go to the embassy the night before. 
Then it's going to Christchurch for two nights. Um, Film festival? F- yep. Yep. That's the 10th and 11th. Northland 4, which I think is a multiplex. Northland. Oh, so you have got a general cinema, some general cinema screens, screenings happening as well as the film festival. No, no. The no. film festival is just going into the Hoyts, Northland 4. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, and then it's at the Regent in Dunedin. Yeah. This is all film festival? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. All of these screenings are film festival. You seem an independent spirit of man, I'm, and I'm, it's always easier for someone else to throw ideas at people, right, in terms of how to do stuff, but I, I don't know how the cinematic screening mafia works and whether it's analogous to big record labels or whatever, but you talked about these small towns and this audience with this film. Um, I was just in the Coromandel recently, and there's, a, for example, a cool little, what looks like a totally indie movie theatre in um, Whangamata. Um, why don't you just take it on the road through the theatres? Do you need a big distributor or whatever? Just an idea, an independent screening circuit as well as an independently made film. Well, it's amazing. Um, the way I see it is... Go full punk, mate. <sighs> yeah, well, the way I see it is um, try and get a theatrical release throughout the country. You know, just do it properly. Yeah. You know, just get it out to, you know, the cinemas. Um, if that doesn't happen, then approach the cinema chains direct. Yeah. I think there's not many of them. No. If that doesn't happen, approach independence yeah. directly. There's a lot of independent cinemas throughout and the country. And they're in those places you talked about. These, Absolutely. These little spots yeah. that often get missed yeah. with stuff, yeah. which I think will be to its favour yeah. as well. You know, hey, it's coming here. It's coming here. Yep. Yeah. Or if that doesn't happen, uh, Vimeo On Demand. Yeah. Air New Zealand in-flight. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> about that. Not sure about that. Because yeah, the reason I made that joke is because then you know those airline films they got to cut out anything slightly contentious, so you end up with a sort of nine nine and a half minute film. Yeah, that's right. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll be nine and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for coming in. The reason I do these, some people don't. I don't know if you listen to podcasts. Some people sort of haven't done them before. Sometimes don't quite get the um, medium. So I hope you've felt like there's an opportunity. Because normally media interviews are just little sound bites, right? So you've worked so hard on this, and I think it's. I, I, I hope that you've enjoyed telling us for a whole hour about. You know, we've covered so so much ground about it, and I've really enjoyed um, hearing about it. And it's a fantastic film. It's great to talk about it in more of a detailed fashion. Yeah, and um, uh, you know, more more of a relaxed fashion. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Radio stations sort of have fifteen. Hey, uh, yeah, with Johnny the Finch, yeah. Hey, exactly. And then you're done. Yeah. Um, and the last words from you, I think uh, it's one of the few things I put on a list in terms of a plan, is in the, in the most succinct way possible, tell us what the film's about. The film is about not only Head Like a Hole in their music, it's also about friendship, ageing, addiction, uh, fractured relationships, living and life. You know, and uh, the struggle of being a contentious band within the New Zealand music industry. It's bigger than the band, the film. It's about, if you don't um, know of Head Like a Hole, or if you don't particularly like their genre of music, I don't think it matters. I think the film is still enjoyable for those people um, because the film is just so much bigger it's about it's about more 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 than that you know yeah thanks for coming in man no worries good luck for the rest of the screenings thank you